Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. You know, over the past few years, um, I've come to understand the teachings of Jesus uh, in a new way. Um, and I don't mean to be too brash here, but, but what I mean is that I've come to see that Jesus uh, in his teachings wasn't really talking about how to build a Christian nation, uh, that he isn't really interested in celebrating wartime victories or political victories of the so-called religious right. Uh, but rather, I've come to see that taking Jesus seriously is not uh, a tidy and easy endeavor, but rather I've come to see that the call that Jesus has on our lives to love our neighbors and to love our enemies is perhaps the hardest and most challenging thing that there is. I've come to see that Jesus isn't just the secretary of afterlife affairs, uh, but he's actually interested in how I live my life here and now. Uh, That Jesus is actually interested, not just being Savior, but also Lord. As I've come to understand Jesus and his teachings and scripture in this new way, it... uh, has found its way into my preaching. (laughs) Uh, Those of you that have been here uh, a few years, uh, I want to say thanks for sticking with us. (laughs) Thanks for sticking with me as you've kind of seen me uh, grow and change in this way that I understand Scripture and Jesus. And so I've began to preach about things like loving our enemies, the call of radical forgiveness, the kingdom of God as a current reality, Um, not just something that's out there. And as I preach about these things, I often get uh, the very same feedback or feedback over and over again, uh, which is is this. Uh, Isn't all of that stuff impractical? It doesn't sound very realistic. Uh, That is to say that many people, including myself, have had questions, as we should, uh, as to whether or not the teachings of Jesus actually work. (laughs) I mean, have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and just thought that Jesus was a little bit of out of touch with how life really is, <laughs> you know? Like, love your neighbor, give me a break. Have you ever met my neighbor? <laughs> uh, those kinds of things. And if I were to offer a spiritual diagnosis, I would say this. The spiritual diagnosis is that we lack imagination. Imagination. And don't worry, it's a self-diagnosis as well. I have it as well. I have this lack of imagination. You see, there's a big danger of becoming so entrenched in the powers and the systems that we have inherited that we've come to believe that being Christian is wrapping those same values, systems, and structures with a Christ fish ichthus. So what it really is, and if you're familiar with this language, then you'll know what I mean, but basically we're just wrapping empire with a Jesus skin. And there's a real temptation and a real danger to do that. In fact, I would go so far as to say that this is what we, the church, the capital C church, have done. It's happened already. And what we're doing now, and I'm talking broadly, the church, the capital C church, what we're doing is we're beginning to wake up to that fact. Uh, There is another reformation happening. The first one 500 years ago was violent and sudden. This one is much more subtle, but I, I can tell you, church, the ground is shifting underneath our feet. And there is a new way of understanding Christ and his gospel. 
And so we're starting to wake up to this fact, and we're starting to figure out what to do about it. And I would submit to you this morning that a key part of the solution is to develop the prophetic imagination. Well, that's just preacher talk, so why don't you say it in English this time, right? Like, what in the world do we mean? What is this prophetic imagination that you're talking about? Well, uh, let's unpack that a little bit. Prophetic comes from the word prophecy. Uh, A common understanding is that prophecy means prediction and that the prophet is the future teller. Uh, And I want to say to you that if this is the only way that we understand prophecy, uh, then we have misunderstood it. We have missed the boat. Uh, In fact, I would say that understanding prophecy only as uh, prediction and the prophet only as a future teller uh, couldn't be further from the truth. Because when we look at the Old Testament prophets, what we find is that they are poets. They are poets who have the ability to imagine the world differently than it already is. And so they write these poems that describe a world that can be organized differently than their world that they find themselves in. And they imagine a world as it one day could be. And so when a prophet shares a prophetic word, it is a word from another world that hits right at the heart of our lives. Are you with me? When a prophet shares a prophetic word, it is a word coming from a whole other world that hits us right in the heart of our lives and right in the heart of who we are. And that is to say that whatever concern the prophets have for the future, right? And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that prophets aren't saying anything about the future. They are. But the concern that the prophets have for the future always hinges around the present, that is to say that the task of the prophet is, is, to shape, is, is to shape our future by shaping our present. The task of the prophet is to shape our future by shaping our present. And oftentimes the prophets in the Old Testament are not so much interested in just reporting the future as much as they are with forming the people in the present for the purposes of the future. And sometimes that includes warnings that are, that are basically say, if you don't change course from where you're at now, this is where you're going to be tomorrow. Right? So you can read the prophets and there's some pretty bleak stuff. But I promise you the prophets are not just looking into the future and saying, this is your determined future no matter what. They are sharing that picture of the future for the purpose of repentance and shaping our lives today. You with me? So if we're going to understand prophetic imagination, we have to understand what prophecy is. I want you to listen to a couple of passages from Isaiah where he casts a vision for the future. And the picture that is painted is for the purpose of moving God's people to live in that way right now. To provide them hope for where they are for the day that is to come. But But the prophet is never just about wishful thinking. It isn't just like, here's, here's a picture of a good future ahead of you just so that you can do nothing, but rather it's here's a picture of the good days ahead of you that God will bring about so that you can begin working and living in that direction. Are you with me? So what, again, I'll say, it, I'll say it again. Whatever concern the prophet has for the future always hinges around the present. And so listen to the prophet Isaiah in the picture that he paints. 
The first one coming from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 says, He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. And they will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not rise up sword against nation, and nor will they train for war anymore. And man, don't we long for that day. And this prophetic word is meant to give us hope. It is meant to inspire us. It is meant to shape our lives right now to begin living into that the best that we can and the best that we know how. But with a lack of imagination, the temptation is to say, is to write the prophets off as unrealistic. Oh, that'll never happen. Or it's just to hide in a bunker and wait till God brings it about. (laughs) And what God is calling us into is a participation in this prophetic image in this prophetic picture. Also in Isaiah chapter 11, it says, the first nine verses says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. For he will not judge what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. And with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with a rod in his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be in his belt and his faithfulness and faithfulness the sash around his waist. For the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child is the one who will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest, but neither will they harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. You see, Isaiah had a vision for a world that was not yet, but he did it and he shared it. Because he had what I believe is a prophetic imagination. The ability to see the world differently than it is today. And so church, I think we need to get out of our minds that prophecy or the prophetic can be reduced just to future telling. For it cannot. It is is a much wider and richer tradition than that. And so here's a good working definition for any time you think about the prophetic or prophecy, here's a good working definition. It is this, a timely word from God for the people of God. What is prophecy? It is a timely word from God for the people of God. And so when something is prophetic, it is a word that is energized by the Spirit of God at just the right time. And because it was that word landed in our hearts or in our lives, it was energized by the Word of God at just the right time, then what it does is it opens up new possibilities, it opens up new perspectives, it draws us into new kinds of actions that changes us and forms us and shapes us into the people of God. Amen? So occasionally I will get notes that say something like this, that was the best sermon I have ever heard. (laughs) Now occasionally I get notes that say the opposite, that was the worst sermon I have ever heard. Now here's, now it took me a while to figure out what people meant when they said that is the best sermon I've ever heard. It took me a while, it took me a long time, but I think I figured out. Because at first I thought they were complimenting my homiletical prowess. I thought that it was my sermon that was the most clearly articulated presentation that they have ever heard in their life. 
with all of the flawless transitions and the perfect conclusion. That's what I thought they meant at first. Now I have come to see, after maturing a little bit, that when people say, that is the best sermon I have ever heard, what they really mean is that my words were energized by the Spirit of God at just the right time for that person at just the right moment so that those words were formational and maybe transformational in their spiritual journey. That's what I've come to hear. Because guess what? Some people will hear the one message and they'll say, you know what, I could have gone with or without that. Some people will hear that and say, you know what, that, was just, that wasn't clean. He messed up on his words right there. You know, they'll look at it and they'll, they'll begin to dissect it. I'm sure none of you have ever done this. But you'll dissect the sermon. You'll, you'll kind of get it in the end. You know, he gets a C. And then some, some person, the same exact message, will say that is, that is literally his words are on fire. Is it me? It's not me. The prophetic is a timely word from God for the people of God. And guess what? It can be a sermon, it can be a song, it can be a piece of art, it can be a conversation, it can be a time with a mentor, anything. Most, God can use almost anything to be prophetic in our lives. And so that's what I want you to hear when you hear the prophetic imagination. It's when something just lands on us and it forms us and it shapes us, it moves us in a direction. A timely word from God for the people of God. But what about the imagination? The imagination is the ability to see things differently than they are and therefore make them real or realistic. That's a better word. The imagination is the ability to see things differently than they are, therefore making them realistic. And I would submit to you today that imagination is core to the human experience. Imagination is core to the human experience. If you don't believe me, just watch children. The other day, we received a gigantic box from Amazon uh, that had a tiny thing in it. You ever do that? Like Amazon, you know, like you, you order like a cassette tape because some of you are into the 80s. You like order a cassette tape and it comes in a box as big as you are and you're like, what are we doing here? Anyway, this was a big thing. We, it came in a huge box, landed on our porch, and per the usual, the kids were more interested in the box than what was in the box. Have you ever asked why this is? If you are a parent, you know this phenomenon. But why is it? Well, I submit to you because the thing inside the box is clearly defined and therefore very limited in what it can become. The thing inside the box, if it's a toy that lights up and then does a trick, then that's what it does. Then that's what it is and that's what it does. It's a toy, it lights up, and it does a trick until it runs out of batteries, and then we say, it died. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, it died. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? It's clearly defined. It's a toy that lights up and does a trick. But the box, the box can be anything. The box has endless possibilities. And so that big box that came to our house was turned into a car that took our kids on adventures for a week because they get to decide what color the car is they get to decide what the car looks like 
They get to fashion the parts. They get to engineer the door. They get to make the steering wheel. And I looked at the steering wheel. It was made of paper, pencil, tape, and paper clips. And I, in my adult mind, I looked at my kids, and I looked at the steering wheel, and I looked back at my kids, and I said, that steering wheel doesn't work. And my kids put a crinkle in their eyebrow, and they said, yes, it does. Because that car with that steering wheel had taken them on several adventures that week. What are you talking about, Dad? The steering wheel doesn't work. Of course it does. I drove this car to wherever. You see what I'm saying? The imagination is core to the human experience. But what happens is as we get older, we stifle and we begin to write off our imagination because we assume that our imagination is make-believe. And we want to live in the real world, so we write imagination off as child's play. But in his compelling and excellent book, author and pastor Greg Boyd writes this. It's a book called Seeing is Believing. I would recommend it. He says this, I submit that one of the most fundamental problems is that many of us Western Christians have forgotten how to use our imagination in spiritual matters. We have come to identify imagination as something that takes us away from truth rather than something that can be useful to enable us to experience truth. Boyd goes on to argue that the imagination is essential to spiritual growth. And not just because Christian, not, not because we think that Christianity is a fairy tale. That's not what I'm getting at. It's not, oh, I have to make Jesus real in my imagination. But rather, it's because the imagination is how our brains work. And so if we want to, if we want to move our faith from our head to our heart, the bridge is the imagination. What connects what we know about God to how we experience God in the world is the imagination. Now, there are, there are many other things too, right? There are other things that connect that. I can experience the love of God through a loving spouse, a loving neighbor, a, a, a member of my faith community can make, help make the love of God real. But if I know God loves me, but I don't experience God's love as real, one of the essential links is the imagination where I can begin to experience God's love as being real. Boyd goes on to argue that the imagination is essential to our spiritual growth, not because Christianity is a fairy tale, but because imagination is how our brains work. He says this, this is a quote, We don't typically think in abstract information. We think by imaginatively replicating reality in our minds. And so imagination is simply the mind's ability to evoke images of things that aren't physically present. For example, if Amy is out of town and I miss her, I don't think about bullet point facts about her. She was born in Ohio, she has brown hair, she really likes to be organized. Uh, no, right? I don't think about that. I reimagine or represent her in, my, in, in her presence in my mind. I think about what it would be like to have her there with me. And when I do that, I am imagining. And it isn't make-believe, but rather it's how her presence becomes real to me. 
in those moments when I miss her. Does this make sense? Imagination is core to the human experience, but so often we write it off as make-believe. And we certainly, I think in the West, have, have kicked it completely out of any kind of spiritual development or spiritual maturity. Now, if you were to ask me about Amy, I would have to give you facts about her or do my best to describe her because I cannot perfectly replicate my mental image of her for you. So I have to resort to information. I can't, get, I can't take the mental picture out of my head and plop it in your head. That technology is not there yet. I'm sure Apple is working on it, but it's not there, right? And so, the, but, but I can give you information. But the point is, the information will only take us so far, and we're going to talk more about that later. And so we have the prophetic or prophecy. We have the centrality of the imagination. Now, when we put these two ideas together... The prophetic is a timely word from God that shapes me more into his likeness. The imagination is core to the human experience, the ability to see things differently than they are and therefore make them real. Then what you have is the prophetic imagination. Here's a working definition. The prophetic imagination is the ability fostered by the Spirit of God to perceive an alternative future or reality. The prophetic imagination is the ability fostered by the Spirit to perceive an alternative future or reality. And it opens up the possibility for a brand new world. It opens up for us to see the world as it might be. It opens up the possibility for us to see the world with God's eyes. Are you with me? It gives the prophetic imagination is what gives us the ability to see God's vision for the world. It is a prophetic imagination that helps us believe it doesn't have to be like this. Things don't have to work this way. That is a prophetic imagination. So why do we need it? Well, we need it. Because things will always stay the same if we cannot imagine a different way. Church, I want you to hear that. Things will always stay the same if we cannot learn to imagine a different way. We need a prophetic imagination that is fueled by the Spirit of God to move us out of racism, to move us out of our dependence on violence, to move us out of oppression of the poor, to move us out of lust and other brokenness. We see we grow up in systems and structures and hierarchies, and it is all very easy to believe that those things will never be different. And so we need a prophetic imagination to start seeing a different way. I'm yelling here. I told the board, I don't want to yell during this, this sermon series. And they said, just be yourself. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> so I'm yelling here, but I want you to hear my pastoral heart. That I feel like that over the last eight to ten years, God has been bringing me on a journey, and my pastoral heart says, I want you to come with me. Because what I've discovered is a more beautiful gospel. What I've discovered is a more beautiful Jesus. I've discovered Jesus who isn't just the secretary of afterlife affairs that's trying to get us to heaven when we die. But I've, I've, I've met and I've encountered through the power of the Holy Spirit a Jesus who is interested in how things work in the world. And what I hear the Spirit of God saying to me is things don't have to be like this. 
that the church, the people of God, can lead the way into a future that no one else can imagine. Because we have the Spirit of God with us. And in us, that's part of the beauty of Pentecost, is that God's presence moves, moves from the temple and tabernacle to Jesus to us. That God's Spirit now dwells in us. And if we have the Spirit of God, then surely we can imagine a different way. But I'm telling you, we have to have it because things will never change if we cannot imagine a different way. And let me tell you, information, information is absolutely a key part of the change. In fact, one of the things that is so disruptive in our culture now is we have, we have more information than we've ever had. And so we're aware of systemic evil and sin that's rising to the surface because we have information that we didn't have before. All of a sudden, the blinders are taken off of certain parts of our society, and everybody's just kind of going, whoa, what is going on, and what do we do? Right? And so information is absolutely important. It is a key part of the change, but let me tell you, information alone cannot change us. We need symbols. We need symbols to spark our imaginations. And what's interesting is that God knew this. And so he gave his people symbols to practice, to participate in every single week that will point us to a new reality and begin to spark our imaginations. Information alone won't change us. We need symbols to spark our imaginations of something different, of what could be, to point us to new realities. And so let me tell you, church, the symbol of baptism points us to the reality of new life in Christ. It helps the person being baptized know that they are a new creation in Christ and they can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, leave the old life behind and live into their new identity in Christ. Baptism helps those who are witnessing the baptism, imagine a new way of being. This symbol of baptism sparks our prophetic imagination for personal change. But then God also gives us the symbol of bread and wine to point us to a new reality of a table where all are welcome, of a Messiah who takes away the sin of the world, and of a Savior who has defeated death. You see, what the table is, when we gather every week around the table, it is a symbol meant to spark our prophetic imaginations of a world that is not yet come, but is in fact coming. Because Jesus has paid the price for sin, Jesus has defeated death and the grave, and now there are new possibilities made available to us. There are new realities for us to grapple with, and we are reminded of that every time we come and we say, this is the body of Christ that is broken for you, and the blood of Christ that has been shed for you. Thanks be to God. This is not a snack in church. <laughs> it is so much richer and deeper than that. We gather around the table as a prophetic action of what could be. We gather around a table as a symbol of, of fellowship. And while the world divides over all kinds of categories and systems and everything else, the church can come together physically in one room around a table and say, it doesn't matter what language you speak or what color your skin is or how much money is in your bank. It doesn't matter all of these things. We can gather around the table 
as a prophetic action of what can be. And so we gather very physically in a room as local churches, and then we gather around the table in solidarity with Christians all around the world every week as a proclamation of what could be, of that the world doesn't have to be the way that it is. Amen? We need symbols to spark our prophetic imagination, which leads me to this. I realize that in this room there are probably from every spectrum of how you feel about us inviting raw tools to come. I am not ignorant to that fact. But I want the fashioning of a firearm into a garden tool to be a symbol that sparks our imagination. Please know we are not making any statements about policy or law that is or should be. But rather we are saying there is a problem in our country. Can we admit that out loud? And then can we allow this to be a symbol that sparks our imaginations to begin working for peace and to begin actually taking Jesus' call to be peacemakers seriously and begin wrestling with the tensions and the realities and all of that? We're not inviting them to say, this is how you ought to feel or think. We're not even saying that we're not wrestling with these issues. We are and you should but we believe that there's a symbol, a powerful symbol of a firearm being fashioned into a garden tool that allows us to imagine a world where narratives of violence are rewritten in the narratives of creation and cultivation. You saw one on the video, but what, as I've talked with Mike, the director and founder of Raw Tools, one of the most common stories is something like this. Consider a mom whose son could come up with no other way to end the, depress the, the depression than to end, than to end his life using a handgun that is in the house. After the funeral and legal necessities are complete, the gun is returned to the family but carries with it now a narrative that haunts the family. And so the family donates the gun to raw tools and watches as that gun is fashioned into a garden tool rewriting the narrative, narrative of violence and providing new hope for this family. The garden tool becomes a powerful symbol of imagining something new. And that's what I want for us, is to begin to foster a prophetic imagination because the gospel is fundamentally about rewriting narratives and making things new. The gospel is fundamentally about rewriting narratives of violence into peace, of death into life, of scarcity into abundance, of oppression into freedom. And this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. And without the prophetic imagination, we'll be caught thinking that we'll always be trapped in cycles of violence, in cycles of death, oppression, and scarcity. But the gospel is, the, the gospel is a loud shout no, it does not have to be that way. There is another world that is possible. There is another world that is coming. And so I want to participate in prophetic ministry. We have the prophetic imagination, but to build it, to foster it, to cultivate it, we need prophetic ministry. So prophetic ministry then is providing practices that awaken our imaginations toward an alternative future or reality that is, that is different than the dominant perception. And so I want to be a church that does prophetic ministry, amen? 
I want, to, I want to awaken our imaginations to see a world where oppression has ended, where food is distributed in such a way that everyone is fed, where people of different race and color understand each other's stories and celebrate those cultures, a world where people aren't hated because they fit into a category, but are loved because of their shared humanity. And as a Christian church, we believe uniquely that God is the source of all love and that God is the source of all good, and he is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so today we have an opportunity to put our prophetic imaginations into practice. This week, once again, tragedy has struck. Violence carried out. And I want to talk to you actually today about two tragedies this week. The first was, as many of you have heard, another school shooting Another story of violence burned into our hearts and memories. And as a people of God, we lament violence. We pray for victims and their families. But as I've tried to make clear today, the prophetic imagination isn't about wishful thinking. It's about doing what we can to move in the direction of God's vision for the world. And so we also pray for our country and for its leaders that they will take tangible steps to help prevent these attacks, to admit that what we're doing isn't working. But in order to do that, we need to imagine in new ways. And so we call our leaders to take action, but we also take action ourselves by loving our neighbors and learning to listen to those who are different from us. In just a moment, we're gonna have a time of silence and then pray the Lord's Prayer. But before that, I want to share with you another tragedy that maybe you haven't heard of or heard about, and that was the Cuban plane crash. You may have heard that uh, a crash, that there was a plane crash in which all of the over 100 passengers perished in the crash. What you may not have heard is that on that plane, nine of those passengers or Nazarene pastors or their spouses returning from a retreat. Pentecost is a good day to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ as the birthday of the church. And so our church in Cuba is mourning and we mourn with them today. So today we mourn and we lament and we put into action our prophetic imagination to begin saying, what can we do to participate with God because it doesn't have to be like this. As I've mentioned, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. It'll be up on the screens. For years now, I've been captured by one line in the prayer. That, that for me, the Lord's Prayer has become about this line. And that is the line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we have the imagination to know what his will looks like on earth. And may we participate with God so his kingdom comes. Let's observe a few moments of silence before praying this prayer together that will be up on the screen.
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. God, thank you for being with us in these moments. We, we pray, God, that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand just what the prophetic imagination is. And God, would you be with us as we gather around the table today? May it be a prophetic act where we can learn to see a world as it not, as it not yet is, but could be. And God, we, we find hope in the resurrection. We find assurance that, in fact, you are working with your people to bring this new world about. We pray, God, that you would bring it in haste and that your kingdom would come on earth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.